We are studying the attributes of God. We are not studying salvation. So understand that as I have us look at the grace and mercy of God as attributes, not as our salvation, though we will consider that briefly at the end before we come to the Lord's table. Our purpose is knowing God, and so we want to know Him in addition to the terribleness, the terror that He brings, and the terror that we should know about Him that I preached about in the first service this morning. We want to consider His grace and His mercy. This attribute of grace, and we're going to connect mercy with it, is so broad, so wide, so large, how long could we spend on it? And yet, I don't want this series to become overly burdensome or long so we lose sight of our subject. And so we're going to limit it. But I want to share a few things with you about the grace and mercy of God because He is a very gracious and His mercies are abundant and exceedingly great and are as high as the heavens. And we want to consider that. If there's a subtle difference between the two words, mercy and grace... Let's think of this subtle difference this way, though the Bible uses them back and forth and uses them this way, but can use either one of them this way because they're almost perfect synonyms for each other. But generally, the word mercy is demerited forgiveness or pardon. Someone that has authority over you has you under their law. You have broken a law. They have a right claim against you, and they have authority and power over you to judge you. And when they do not exercise that judgment, they pardon you, or they absolve you from your crime, or in the case of God, your sin. We call that mercy. Mercy delivers you from the judgment you deserve. The president may have someone on death row, and yet he's able to offer them a pardon in his office as the president of our country. And so that would be mercy. Now, if the president was to pardon a man that was on death row and then make him his chief of staff, that would be grace. Because mercy is just ending the judgment that was held against that criminal. Grace affords him demerited favor. And it's a modest difference, but I I really am only going through the exercise because it just lifts up the two concepts of mercy and grace so high. I get frustrated, and those of you who have known me since for a long time know that I get frustrated about this like I do some other things. When most Christians define grace as unmerited favor, I am offended that they are so cheap and really so nearly profane in their definition of grace. Because we are not in a neutral state before God. We have merited eternal hell. Therefore, for God to forgive us, to pardon us, it has, it is demerited forgiveness. It's a demerited pardon. It's not like we are an elect angel or someone in a neutral state before Him or like Adam and Eve before they fell. We are wicked. And we have violated so many laws of God ourselves and we're guilty of Adam's transgression of the law that we have demerited his favor. We have demerited his pardon or his forgiveness. We're not just neutral. Unmerited means we haven't done anything to earn it. Well, 
We're so far from that. Of course we haven't done anything to earn it. We have earned His judgment. And I don't want that to be a slight distinction in terms because I want you to always think very carefully about the things that you hear. When someone says that justification is just as if I'd never sinned, it's not good enough. That's nearly profane. Because justification in the Bible is, all my sins have been paid for completely, and I have been given the complete righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is so much more than just as if I'd never sinned. See, they just like that because it's got a little ringle, a little ring or a little rhyme to it for second graders in a Sunday school class. And they never get past the second grade in Sunday school. Adults have second grade lessons in Sunday school. So they define justification as just as if I'd never sinned. Well, if you're just as if you'd never sinned, you're not going to be anything in the sight of God. You're going to be like a stone or a tree. I want the robe of Christ's righteousness upon me. I want when he sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I'm off the subject because we're on the attributes of God and we're talking about grace and mercy, but I want you to think about that we have demerited that pardon and forgiveness, which is mercy. We have demerited the favor of God. I don't want to be just redeemed. I want more than just a propitiation made for my sins. I want more than my sins to be washed away. I want what the Bible describes about grace and mercy. He has adopted us as His children. A king may pardon a criminal that's expecting to be beheaded, but how often has he taken that criminal and adopted him as his son and then made his joint heirs with his true son, to inherit the kingdom. No, that's got to be impossible. That is the grace and mercy of God. And God loves to delight in grace and mercy. When he was confronted by Moses in Exodus chapter 33, I want to see your glory. What did Moses get to see and hear first? Exodus 33 verse 18, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Do you like that in Exodus chapter 33? He didn't say, I want to make all my terribleness pass before you, though God is terrible. When Moses said, Moses had already seen his terribleness. When did he see it? Ten plagues in Egypt. And then the crossing of the Red Sea. Then Sihon, king of the Amorites. Then Og. He had seen the terribleness of God. But when he asked for God's glory, he said, I'm going to show you my grace and my mercy. Then we go to the next chapter when God showed him his glory. Verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. So for those of you that are a little timid, They were made a little nervous by the preaching this morning about the terribleness of God. Just remember, the glory of God includes His graciousness and His mercy right here in Exodus 33, 18 and 19, 34, verse 6, as God shows Moses His glory. Because God loves grace and mercy. But now His grace and mercy are restricted and restrained by His holiness and His righteousness. He cannot acquit or clear the guilty. When someone has sinned against His law... That sinner must pay for that crime. 
And unless there is a substitute, the substitute we know is the one man between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. If there's not a substitute, then that sinner must be judged for his sin. His grace and His mercy is that He devised the way of salvation by sending Jesus Christ. His grace and His mercy is not such that He just says, well, I'm going to overlook those sins. He doesn't just overlook those sins. Jesus Christ paid for every single one of them in full. Isaiah chapter 40 would say, Ye have received the Lord's hands double for all your sins. Comfort ye my people. Do you know why there's comfort in the gospel? Because our sins have been paid for twice over. That's pretty good. That's the grace and mercy of God. It's so wonderful. God showed to Israel so many times, and there's so many verses that we could appeal to. But look at Micah chapter 7 with me. Micah chapter 7. Sister Jennifer, I'm glad you were reading in the Minor Prophets, and I'm glad that you tried to tell me this week about Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. And I got to laugh. And write you back that they were already in my outline for today and that I had been enjoying them while you were enjoying them, but we didn't know that we were both enjoying them and I wouldn't be surprised that there were more in here enjoying them as well at the same time. Micah chapter 7, the last three verses. Who is a God like unto thee? This must be about terribleness. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth Iniquity, Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Listen, let's just keep reading. And passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. And Elizabeth and John and, and Zechariah and Mary got to hear about that mercy and grace. I don't have time to preach Micah 7 to you, but this is a prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a God He is and what a mercy He showed toward the nation of Israel. But I want you to remember about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was set for the rising and fall of many in Israel. Isn't that what Simeon told his mother? This child is set for the rising and fall of many in Israel. Many were going to be blessed by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, His elect among them. They would, they would rejoice in hearing Him. He would die and pay for their sins. But there was another great part of that nation that he would say to them, How shall ye escape the damnation of hell? They crucified him. He was set for the rising and fall. I hope that every one of us walk out of this assembly today and Jesus Christ has been for our rising. He has come with healing in his wings for us, as the book of Malachi prophesies of him. But notice these words in the last part of verse 18, Because he delighteth in mercy. And because God delights in mercy, He has sent the Lord Jesus Christ who bore the terror of God for us. The terror of God was not diluted. The terror of God was just poured out on another. And if you don't know where that's found in the Bible, try Psalm 22 on for size this afternoon. Psalm 22 where the first words are, My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? Thy waves and thy billows are gone over my soul. 
from helping me. God's terror, God's grace. His grace doesn't come over and throw terror out. The wisdom and prudence of our God devised a plan through His Son that His terror could be poured out on His Son for us so that He could show us His grace and His mercy because He delights in it and the greatest demonstration of mercy and grace in the universe. There is no metaphor, there is no illustration I can give you to even compare to it, is the great God of heaven who is terrible and perfectly holy and righteous, and we have sinned repeatedly and heinously against Him. He sends His own Son to stand in between us and take the full brunt of the terror of the terrible God. How's that for the wisdom and power of God in salvation? This is our God. Look at what it says. Because He delighteth in mercy. Thank you, Lord, for such a wonderful verse. Look at Psalm 111. There's so many places that we could go, and there's so many places I've pulled out of the Word of God for you, and yet we don't need hundreds of them. We just need a few, and we just need to focus our attention and delight in them. We need to be still right now and not think about anything else in our lives. But His Word, let it speak to us for a few minutes. Psalm 111, verse 4, He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. What kind of works? The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Those kind of works as well as His terrible works. He wants us to remember them all. And so in a short sermon about the grace and mercy of God, we want to do that. Look at Isaiah 63 where God inspired the prophet Isaiah to write some precious words about the grace and mercy of our God. Mercy and grace are two glorious attributes of God that explain His forgiveness and His favor to sinners. Why would He ever do it? He could have been independently happy, infinitely happy, and pleased in Himself for all eternity. He didn't need us. He just wanted to display... His wrath and His power, that's His terribleness on one hand, and His grace and His mercy and the riches of His glory on the other hand. So out of the body of humanity, out of that clay, He formed vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath. That's what the Bible teaches us. And in that we see terribleness, but in that we also see grace and mercy, because why would He ever do it? If you were God, you wouldn't do it, and if I was God, I wouldn't do it. I would have done what he said to Moses. Stand back and I'll burn them all up. Isaiah 63. Verse 7. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. And the praises of the Lord. According to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us. And the great goodness toward the house of Israel. Which he hath bestowed on them. According to his mercies. And according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Through Christ and by their repentance, these verses are true. When they rebelled, the next verse is true. But they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. But He is gracious and merciful. Forgiving their iniquities over and over again. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. 
This is not truly a sermon about salvation, but we are certainly mentioning it because His grace and His mercy is most glorified and most visible and and exalted the highest when it comes to salvation. Exodus chapter 1. I just want to show you a few little expressions. You know the passage. I mean, I meant Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to show you a few verses. Chapter 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. How do we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins? According to the remnants of His grace? The pieces of His grace? The fragments of His grace? The poverty of His grace? The riches of His grace. How rich in His grace He's been to us. And what is grace? Demerited favor. We earned something else. He gave us something on the opposite end. We deserved hell. He not only delivered us from that, He gave us heaven. We had chosen the devil as our joint heir that we would inherit the lake of fire with Him. And He gave us the Lord Jesus Christ as our joint heir. The riches... Look at 2.4. But God who is rich in mercy, 2.7, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Look at the way that Paul describes the grace of God. This God you can love. This God you can trust. This God you can delight in because He delights in mercy. When we talk about having a great boss, when we talk about having a great father, when we talk about a great husband, someone in authority, we think of, they're so gracious and merciful to me. Whenever I blow it, they forgive me so easily and so quickly. But you've never been forgiven anything compared to what God's forgiven us. No father, no husband, no boss, no president, no king, No sheriff, no judge has ever forgiven you things like God has forgiven us. And so it's just the exceeding riches. And what's heaven for? So that he can just continue to show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God sending his son to deliver his enemies. Where was his terror? How can God be terrible if that happened? His terror was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. It pleased him to bruise Jesus. When somebody gets pleased by bruising another person, what does that tell you about them? They are terrible and a frightening person to deal with. And it wasn't done unjustly. It was done by pure holiness. Our sins were put upon Christ, and Christ bore the brunt of God's wrath because we have been appointed to obtain salvation and to miss that wrath that was poured out upon Jesus Christ. Do you know why Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh? See, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians. The Assyrians had picked on Israel for a long time. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? It tells us in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, Daniel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Chapter 4 and verse 2, if you can't get there, just listen to me. I'm going to read it to you. And he prayed unto the Lord. This is Jonah praying to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord. Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? When I was back in Israel, and you told me to go preach to Nineveh because you were going to, about to destroy them, and I went and fled to Tarshish, this is what I told you then, and I still believe it now. Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, 
slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Now that's a five-fold description of God being gracious, merciful, forgiving sins, and not wanting to pour out evil on a city that had 120,000 people under the age of five. I just want to tell you that the God is gracious and merciful. Amen. And we don't want to be like Jonah. But see, I want to tell you something about Jonah. Jonah knew that God could burn the city up. But Jonah knew that God was more inclined not to burn the city up if he went and preached to it. it I'm glad there's preachers like this described in the Bible. I can find company among men like Jonah. Forgive me for that comparison, but just to see a minister with his motives so twisted as poor Jonah here. But the Lord recorded that four-chapter book for us. But he knew God was gracious and merciful. I want you to know that. Look at Psalm 136 with me, and I want you to tell me if you have the courage to write redundant with a red pen on this page. Psalm 136. You know, when you say something twice or three times in a paper that you write for school, they write redundant with a red pen on it. Redundant means you've already said that once. We don't need to hear it again. You're just trying to fill up space and get through this class. I know what you're up to. Do I sound experienced? I didn't even smile at that rhetorical question. Psalm 136, I'll read the first verse. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let's read the last verse. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for His mercy endureth forever. Let's pick one in the middle. Verse 18, and slew famous kings, for His mercy endureth forever. When He slew famous kings, the Bible says God is terrible to the kings of the earth. But here it says he's merciful. Can you rightly divide the word of God to understand how both are true? Yes. Those kings God was terrible to, but he was merciful to Israel by being terrible to those kings. We want a terrible God. We want to march to the land of Canaan, heaven itself, with God with us, who is the Lord, and him being terrible. Look at this. Is there anything redundant about this psalm? There's vain repetitions, but this is not a vain repetition. This is a glorious repetition. For His mercy endureth forever. And this is not the only place in the Bible where we have such an emphasis on these words. These are words that were parcel in part and important to the worship of God in Israel. His mercy endureth forever. Look at Psalm 57 and verse 10. Psalm 57 and verse 10. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens. How big is that? Thy mercy is great unto the heavens. 69 and verse 13. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord. In an acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Here it's not so great that it, it rises up to heaven, but it's in a multitude of his mercy. There's a whole bunch of his mercies. And so it's called the multitude of his mercy. We could go on and on with verses like this. What should it mean to you that God is merciful and delights in mercy? What should it mean to you? No matter how heinously you sin, no matter how much you think you've blown it in your life, you can always go to Him and quickly obtain forgiveness for your sins. Look at Psalm 51. You will never outsin God's grace and mercy. It's impossible. And for you to even think it, you are thinking blasphemous thoughts. Get over it. Believe the Word of God. Look at David. Aggravated adultery, aggravated murder. 
He had a whole harem of wives. He didn't need Bathsheba. Uriah the Hittite was one of his 37 chosen bodyguards. He killed one of his best friends. That is aggravated adultery and aggravated murder. But verse 1 of Psalm 51, I want to ask you this. How long did it take God for to, to forgive David who said, I have sinned against the Lord? That's how long David's confession was in 2 Samuel chapter 12. How long did it take God to forgive him? About one second. David, Nathan the prophet immediately said, God hath forgiven thee. How does that happen? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right. And because he delights in mercy. Look at this first verse of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Notice what David appeals to. Have mercy upon me, O God. First of all, he asks for mercy. I need pure mercy. There's nothing I've earned. I deserve no favors. Have pure mercy upon me, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. There's nothing else I can appeal to. And do you know what God forgave him? God gave David and Bathsheba Solomon as their son. The blessings are abundant. David's one of the chief figures in the Word of God. Don't you ever hesitate running to the Lord and just confessing your sins and appealing to His mercy and His multitude of tender mercies. You can't out the Lord. If you think you can out the Lord, do you know what you're saying about God? He ain't much. Jesus loves losers. I'm thankful for another email I got yesterday. Somebody was messing around in sermons, preached a long time ago, and found Jesus loves losers, and got pretty excited and wrote me. And, and I wrote back and said, Two losers loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, sorry, Mark. Because Jesus loves losers. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Accept it right now. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You say, well, I think I'm chief. You don't even come close to Saul of Tarsus. You couldn't. God raised up Saul of Tarsus to be the example because you aren't ever going to get near him in what you did against the church of God. And he said, after he said what I just quoted to you, he said, and I am set forth as an example to all those that will believe on Jesus Christ afterwards. You can never out the Lord because He's so full of... You know, I've, we've had Psalm 103 twice in the last 15 weeks. You know why? Because Psalm 103 in the middle part of it is full of the mercy and grace of God. Amen. Our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. It just goes on and on. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. There's so much forgiveness and mercy there in Psalm 103. You know why God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours, right? Because He pardons and forgives in ways that we can't even comprehend. Isaiah 55 tells us that. Do you know why God gave a law? Do you know why there are commandments that catch you a few times a year? A few times a day? A few times an hour? Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, I need help. When the oxygen hoses at my nose, just give me the last part of that verse. Give, give me the whole verse. I don't care. I just want to hear the last part of that verse. Grace did much more abound. It's just piling over. It's just abounding. It's just everywhere. Grace did much more abound. 
That law just shows me every day of my life, every hour of my life, what a sinner I am. And I'm speaking to sinners today, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Because he loves, he loves grace and mercy. Oh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I, I was just there, but listen, i got to take you there. Please forgive me about the time. I'll do something to make it up to you. Maybe I'll end on time on Wednesday night. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. He injured the people of God. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Listen to these words. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. God poured faith and love into the Apostle Paul so the love of Christ constrained him so that he burned himself out for the rest of his life. He poured faith into the Apostle Paul so that he believed everything that Jesus Christ revealed to him. But the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Verse 15 is the one that I quoted to you recently. Verse 16 is the one I was referring to, that I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Do you believe on Jesus this afternoon? Yes, you say. Do you, are you believing on Jesus then after Paul? Yes, you say by 2000 years. Then verse 16 was written for you to understand something about you. You ain't nothing as far as a sinner compared to Paul. He's the chief of sinners because God's grace was exceeding abundant to the apostle Paul's an example to give us great comfort. You trust others to forgive you. It's amazing. You'll do something wrong and you'll say, I know my husband, I know my teacher, I know my boss, I know my father will forgive me if I go to him and tell him, Father, I'm sorry, I was a fool, I shouldn't have done this, you know that they'll forgive you. On what basis do you know they'll forgive you? Well, they did it once before. Oh, so what? What about God? Put your trust in Him. He's got the Lord Jesus Christ sitting in His right hand, constantly reminding Him, making intercession for us daily, that He paid for our sins. Therefore, God in His faithfulness and justice forgives us. Not in His weakness and His compromise forgives us, but in His faithfulness to Christ. In His justice that it's already been paid for. You believe in double jeopardy because some men wrote it on a piece of paper called the Constitution of the United States? You don't believe that men should be exposed to double jeopardy? Well, God's the one that paid for our sins once for all. Right. And those people that think that Jesus died for everyone and yet they pay for their sins again in hell, unbelievable. He paid for all the sins of His elect once. You know how much heaven rejoices in grace and mercy? When one sinner repents, what do the angels do in heaven? Does it say that in the Bible? Does it say it several times? Is there a whole chapter dedicated to that? Is it Luke 15? Is it Luke 15 with the woman who lost one coin, with a shepherd who lost one sheep, and a father who lost a prodigal, but that prodigal came home? And there was great questioning as to why there was such a great big feast. And what did the woman do when she found her lost coin? 
She came home, got on the phone, sent out an email to all her friends, come over to the house and celebrate with me. I have found my coin. And all of that was to teach that in heaven there is rejoicing by the angels of God when one sinner repents. You say, is this the terrible God? This is the terrible God. What a gracious thing He's done in our lives. And what a gracious word He's given us to tell us about that. You want to know what gets heaven excited? It's you repenting of your sins. His mercy, His mercy should motivate us to service if there be any bowels of mercies. Philippians chapter 2, exhorting us to service, to perseverance. Receive not the grace of God in vain. When God shows us grace, we should use it. To righteousness, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? What's the answer to that question? God forbid, and so on and so forth. The Bible says so many things about it. If you want to know how to reason with God in prayer, you reason with Him about His grace and His mercy. Let me give you an example in Numbers chapter 14. When you need God's mercy in your life, you go to Him and and, and beg Him about His mercy. Exodus chapter 33 and 34 come before Numbers chapter 14. You should know that. Exodus 33, Moses said, show me thy glory. God showed him his glory, which was the Lord, gracious and merciful. That stuck in Moses' head. In Numbers 14, after they had sent out the spies to check out the land of Canaan, they came back and the nation of Israel said, we don't like this, we're, we're afraid of those giants, we want to go back to Egypt. And God wanted to destroy them and tell Moses, stand back and I'll make a new nation of you, I'll burn them all up. They don't want to take the land that I've prepared for them, the retirement homes that I've got for all of them, I'll burn them all up. Moses remembered. Remember, God, when he declares his glory to his people, declares his grace and his mercy. You, you all know this, but I just, I just want to show you. Numbers 14, here's what Moses did. Numbers 14, verse 17, And now I beseech thee. Now he's talking to the Lord. He's praying. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. I just want, you know what we're talking about right now? God delights in mercy. God gave Moses the card to play later in his ministry when he needed it. And Moses was wise enough to remember it. And though I preach to you the terribleness of God, the terribleness of God is mostly shown toward our enemies. And when it's shown to us, it's only in this life in chastening us because of our own sins. And we'll never experience it in heaven. 
And they're going to experience it for eternity. But he's full of grace and mercy because he delights in it. And you should appeal to that when you go to him in prayer. Why did God create Eve for Adam? Because he's full of grace and mercy and it's not good for the man to be alone. Why did God create the Sabbath for Israel? Because they deserved a little bit of a retirement and rest after their hard labor and bondage in Egypt. And the Bible says so. I've already asked you how many souls he would he needed to save Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was only ten souls. Do you know what grace it took to save Lot? What did the angels have to do to Lot? Take him by the hand and drag him out of that city. That is grace, and it says, it was the grace and mercy of God. How long did Abraham's servant have to hunt for Rebekah, for Isaac? While he was a-praying, she came to the well. I mean, you just put your trust in the Lord. He delights in grace and mercy. Put your total trust in Him. Stand in awe and sin not. If you're doing anything in your life to play around with this world, to play around with sin, get rid of it and put your trust in Him. He delights in grace and mercy. How do you get paid to nurse your baby? Have an edict issued that all babies are going to be killed and put yours in a little basket and float it out in a river. Is there a God in heaven? Did he love Egyptians? No. Did he love Moses' mother? Yes. Who comes down to the river? Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby weeping. She's moved with compassion. She looks around. Who does she spot? Moses' sister. Miriam, hiding in the weeds. Hey, little girl, do you know a woman among the Israelites that could nurse this baby for me? (laughs) Do you laugh when you read the Bible? Do you punch the air when you read the Bible? Do you shout glory? Do you sing hallelujah? What'd Miriam do? Go find some wet nurse in Israel? Hey, mom, look at this check. (laughs) It's a thousand bucks a week to nurse Moses. What? Hebrews 11 tells us all about that by faith, Moses' parents. Right. Where did all that come from? His grace and his mercy. You know what? We have, as parents, we have to... I, as much as any of you, have children and grandchildren in little baskets set forth on the Nile River. And you know what? That's the safest place for them. Right. As long as I am standing in awe and sinning not and putting my trust in the Lord and in the fact that he delights in mercy. I don't deserve a wife, and I don't deserve a family. But he delights in mercy. And I love being a trophy of grace for him. And so did David. David in his deathbed said, although my house be not so with God, he had a messed up, dysfunctional family, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure, and this is all my salvation and all my desire. He delights in grace and mercy. Can you find the book of Micah again? I'm sorry. If it's hard, then you need to get one of those thumb-indexed Bibles. Micah chapter 6 this time. Not the last chapter 7, but it's the 6th chapter. What should we learn about the grace and mercy of God? How do we show that we're God's elect and His grace and His mercy is upon us? by showing that same grace and mercy to others. What a wonderful religion. 
He works it in us. We work it out. Paul would say that by nature, we are all, we were all foolish, hateful, and hating one another, full of malice and envy and wickedness. But God, who is rich in mercy, justified us and regenerated us, washing us by the renewing of the Holy Spirit so that we have a new man in us that loves to show the same grace and mercy that God shows to us. Shane and Jordan asked me, have we ever used Matthew 18? I said, no. You know, I was, I was sort of disappointed. Later in the day, talking to my wife about it, you know, I don't want to use it. Right. Unless we have to. But the reason we shouldn't have to is because there should be so much grace and mercy on our parts that we never would get, go that far with someone. Right. You know what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says? Before you should ever take somebody to court, you should suffer yourself to be defrauded. Right. If you're a real Christian and you're planning on going to heaven, you will allow yourself to be defrauded because that's what Christians do. And so you know what? No, of course we haven't used it because we practice grace and mercy toward each other. And it actually says that we should suffer ourselves to be defrauded. What's somebody going to cost us? A hundred bucks, $500 paint job because they ding up your police car? Grace and mercy. Micah 6. It's a favorite verse of some of you. He hath showed thee, O man. Verse 8. Micah 6, 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The previous two verses, verses 6 and 7, are asking questions about what should I bring to please God? Is it thousands of rams, or should I give my firstborn? Should I offer a child sacrifice of my oldest child? And the Lord, the Lord says, No, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good. Love mercy. Right. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. To the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. Mercy rejoices against judgment. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, full of mercy and good fruits. So we want to be merciful as the Lord would Show us to be merciful. We want to be merciful in general. We want to be merciful even toward beasts. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10. Uh, verse 10. We want to be merciful even toward ourselves. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 17. God and the Lord Jesus Christ rank mercy so high, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Right. Even when it comes to God's commandments, mercy is more important than His own commandments. So much could be preached on this subject because God delights in mercy. And we're, we cannot be saved without His mercy. And it's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads me to Luke chapter 1 and verse 78. Luke 1 and verse 78, where the angel is teaching Zechariah and Elizabeth about the Son to be born to them. Luke 1, 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And that wasn't John. That was the one coming after John. The day spring from on high. It's by the tender mercy of our God that the Lord Jesus Christ came. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I'll read it again, since some of you are still turning. Second Corinthians 8, 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Is that incredible grace? Is that demerited favor? A rich man becoming poor so that a poor man might be made rich. And we're not talking about foolish things like a bank balance. We're talking about our standing in heaven and the glory of God and the inheritance of the universe. He gave it all up to come to earth and to be born to a poor woman where there was not even any room in the inn. That is poverty. You can always get a room in the inn. They will throw out the lowest payer for the highest bidder in every hotel. Especially in those days. There was no room in the inn because there was no way Joseph could pay. But the Lord Jesus became poor that we, condemned, guilty enemies of God, might be made rich in His sight. There's so much more that could be said. I have honestly only tithed what could be said and should be said. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. May you understand that the great and terrible God of the Bible is also the God that delights in mercy, and there is no contradiction between the two. There is no contradiction at all. There is the Lord Jesus Christ between the two. Bless and praise His holy name. Let's go to His table.